Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Tuesday, March the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we take a deep dive into my favorite prospect in the entire draft, the quote-unquote national champion, All-American, Senior Bowl Practice Player of the Week, Shaquem Griffin. We explore some potential trade-down targets come draft day for the Miami Dolphins, and I give you my picks for the worst free agent signings in team history. But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. That Shaquem Griffin piece is up live right now for you guys to go ahead and read. Tons of GIFs and content from different people in the scouting community up there in that piece as well. And of course, last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We got a really quick episode for you guys today. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is first down here, the Locked On Dolphins podcast. First segment out of the shoot today. We have some news to get to. We'll go ahead and get that later in the episode. I want to talk about my piece up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the entire network. And I keep on rephrasing that and repeating it just because I want you guys to know how appreciative I am of all of that. All of our hard work is paying off. We're getting the due that we deserve. We're getting some national recognition in terms of some big time publications. The network is giving us recognition for all of our hard work on that too. So really, really, really appreciate all of that from you guys. So please keep on checking that out. The Shaquem Griffin piece up right now. I am super proud of that. Lots of research, lots of data, lots of videos, lots of just background into what a unique kid this guy is and the theme of the article kind of got convoluted at certain points because obviously it's a lockdowndolphins.com so it's entirely Miami Dolphins centric and I started writing the piece with the intention to fit him into the Dolphins culture and kind of how he would be the final piece of this entire culture rebuild that they're selling the fan base on in terms of getting rid of some of the guys that were malcontents or the guys that wanted money over winning football games And they're trying to bring in guys that have had great things said about them from previous coaching regimes, previous media members, and the like. And in the article, I detail some of the things that have been said about DeMarco Murray and what type of a player and a person he was in the Titans locker room. And we'll get to DeMarco Murray here later in the show. But talking about Dan Kilgore and what the 49ers said about him when they gave him that extension prior to trading him to Miami. And what the Chiefs coaching staff said about Albert Wilson and the Patriots. And we know what they think about Danny Amendola, and specifically Julian Edelman, and some of the things that he said about Amendola and his prowess down there, or I should say up there, with the New England Patriots. So when I started writing it, that was my theme and my focus was talking about how if the Dolphins want to go ahead and sell this theme to the fan base and to the people that pay money to go to the games, that they need to draft Shaquem Griffin because if a guy, I've talked about it before, so sorry for being repetitive, but I just really, after doing that article and all the research and stuff that went along with it, I really 
am all in on drafting this guy because of what he's overcome, what he has meant to his college program, what he has done in terms of being a media darling. The Dolphins don't have the best PR right now in the world. They get some very low ratings on their primetime games. And while some of that has to do with the fact that they were bad in all those primetime games, it also has to do with the fact that really, from a league standpoint, they really lack star quality. And without Ndamukan Sue and Jarvis Landry, that's only going to be worse. I know that's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but this is just an added bonus to adding a guy like Shaquem Griffin. But the focus of the article was talking about the type of stuff that he does for your team and the kind of impact he can have and the reverberation of what he would be for the Miami Dolphins. And you go back to some of the articles I linked in that piece. There's tons and tons of hyperlinks within that article showing you stuff about Shaquem Griffin from his past, both as a collegiate athlete and now as he's a post-collegiate athlete in his rookie start of year that has already begun because as rookies, these kids' years start once their college season's over. They get ready for the combine. They get ready for the senior bowl. They get ready for the draft. And then it's off to rookie minicamps. It's a long, long year for these kids. But in detailing Shaquem Griffin's journey, you learn just what kind of a kid and special person he is Obviously, we know the the odds that he has had to overcome being a one-handed football player. It's it's insane. It's completely insane what he has already done. I posted up some of his volume stats in that piece talking about his, I believe it was 18 and a half sacks over the last two years as an off-the-ball linebacker. He had 33 and a half tackles for a loss. He had three picks in his career. He broke up 16 passes, so 19 plays on the ball in coverage. He had four forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, over 100 tackles in two years. The guy is just a phenom, and he does it with a disadvantage that you wouldn't even notice and this kind of sounds funny, but you wouldn't even notice it unless you saw it, which obviously you're going to see it, but it just doesn't affect his play. He's just the kind of player that is, he's going to overcome whatever you put in front of him. And he kind of showed that at the senior bowl with some of his moves. He put on some very high profile guys. So I talk about the fact that his pass rush productivity in terms of hits, hurries, and sacks, his pressure divided by snap counts from a pass rushing situation was the highest in college football. And you can see that on the article, courtesy of Chris Kaufman at CK Parrot, the most referenced person on this podcast other than myself. He has some great numbers he detailed from profootballfocus.com, another one of our sponsors. Check them out. Get yourself an account there for PFF today. And just the production that he had in terms of ball production, sacking the quarterback, putting pressure on the quarterback, disrupting the passing game. And the the theme of the article came because I did some research on him and found out that through summer camp last year, he stayed the night at UCF's facility, their training facility, and watched film. He did it for three reasons. He wanted to watch more film. He wanted to cut down his commute time to give himself more sleep because he values sleep. And if you watch anything J.J. Watt does or any elite athlete, you know that sleep is just as important as anything else in your training regimen. So he has that down at the age of, what is he, 20, 21 years old, which is just, it's insane that a kid has that type of mentality already. Some of these guys come to work with empty stomachs and they, they haven't slept for more than five or six hours. It's just, it, it, you'd, be, you'd be surprised how much these guys don't have the professionalism aspect down to their careers yet. So he's got that down. Reason number two was to watch more film. And reason number three was he wanted to have an impact on the younger guys at the at on the team, on the Central Florida team. So the the impact he had in that team, the fact that they were 13-0, wouldn't even have come close to being that if it was not for Shaquem Griffin. So that piece is up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We're going to talk about what it might take to draft him, where he might go in the draft, because Miami might have to acquire another draft pick to make that happen. And we'll talk about that next in the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And just before we get into the 
potential trade down targets the Dolphins could look at come draft day. We got to update you guys on some news here real quick. It sounds like DeMarco Murray did not leave Miami with a contract. He has now had three visits, one with the Seattle Seahawks, one with the Detroit Lions, and now the Miami Dolphins. And the Detroit Lions one is the most concerning one to me. Actually, both the Seahawks and Lions, but the the Lions signed Frank Gore, one of the strangest signings of the offseason, in my opinion, bringing bringing over the AARP member himself. But Murray is not young in his own right, but the fact that he has left now three pretty running back needy teams without a contract makes me think that he might be asking for more money than he's actually worth. We talked about him on the column saying he's a great locker room presence, a great veteran. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast saying he's a guy that gives you the flexibility to run your entire offense without the risk of having a rookie running back in there in game one and having to deal with mental hiccups that are going to happen throughout the course of the early part of the season for said rookie running back. So it, it would be wise for the Dolphins to go ahead and find a veteran running back. I'm sure they still will explore other options if Murray does not work out, but it just makes me concerned that he has not got a deal done yet. So we'll see what happens with him. But as it is right now, the Dolphins still have just Kenyon Drake and Sonoris Perry in their backfield. So definitely going to have to add some bodies there. But the third and fourth round of the draft seems to be rather fruitful for running backs in terms of value and getting a guy that could potentially be hopefully the next Kareem Hunt in this draft. So speaking of the draft, I kind of put together a little bit of a segment here for you guys talking about potential targets for the Dolphins to trade back. Now at pick 11, I think the quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three, four. I have been banging this drum all offseason saying that the quarterbacks will be gone within the top 10, whether it was organically or trade-ups. We've already seen the New York Jets give up three second round draft picks to go up three spots. And just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a comparison there back in 2013 granted it was not a quarterback draft was a terrible draft class in general the Dolphins went from number 12 to number three to draft Deion Jordan and all it cost them was pick number 42 so kind of gives you an idea of how valuable these quarterbacks are when it comes to trade-ups in the draft this year and so the Jets will be on a quarterback at pick number three. That's a given. The Browns are going to take a quarterback at number one. I am fully of the belief that the Giants and the running back and the offensive line stuff is hogwash and that they will actually take a quarterback there. So I'm thinking it's going to be Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield in the first three, possibly Rosen. And then at pick four, someone's going to trade up to the Browns and take whoever's left there. So I think the quarterbacks go to the first four. And then from there, you're going to have Saquon Barkley in the mix. You're going to have Quentin Nelson in the mix. So there are six players off the board that the Dolphins really probably wouldn't even look at at their spot in the draft. Quentin Nelson would make sense, but he's not going to make it to him anyway. So six players off the board, which pushes down a whole bunch of defenders. Bradley Chubb will be taken in that top 10. Minka Fitzpatrick will get taken in that top 10. So now we're at eight players, and now you're left with almost a certainty of getting one of the linebackers or one of the defensive tackles. And if you do go the route of defensive tackle, and speaking of the linebacker that I want for the Dolphins, obviously going to be later on in the draft, Shaquem Griffin, and not a full-time 100% snap player, obviously, but if you do decide to go linebacker later on, it looks like defensive tackle could be a prime spot there, whether it's Vita Vey or Deron Payne, but it seems like the Dolphins might be able to work themselves back down the draft and still get away with one of those guys. And like I said on the podcast before, Deron Payne seems like the kind of guy they're going to go ahead and target. They favor SEC players. His career got better as he went on. He's athletic. He can disrupt the passing game. A dominant, dominant player, Alabama. So... I wrote down three possible trade targets, and you guys probably aren't going to like this so much just because they're moving back a fair amount in that first round, and I know that that seems like you're losing out on a quality or like an elite player and kind of settling for just a quality player there, but I have three targets that could possibly want to come up, 
And the first one is the Dallas Cowboys at pick 19. And I think this is the most realistic one. And the reason for them is because they have two big needs that kind of coincide with how the draft board could possibly fall here. If they don't bring back Des Bryant or if they cut him or whatever it is that's going on with Des Bryant, who is no longer even close to the player he used to be, the Cowboys are going to have to attack their passing game because Dak Prescott was throwing to guys that had very little separation last year. It was very tough for him to find guys down the field. They they're often struggled because of the lack of separation from the receivers. And of course, Zeke Elliott not being there didn't help either. But it it looks like the Dolphins could have their pick of the litter in terms of wide receivers when they pick at number 11. Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton, DJ Moore, whoever it is you want to put in that first spot, first receiver to go off the board. The Dallas Cowboys seem like a team that could want to come up and make that happen for themselves and get themselves the first receiver off the board. And if they don't, maybe it's like a Derwin James or a Minka Fitzpatrick who I would hate to pass on. I really don't want to pass on either of those guys. But if the Cowboys come calling and they offer you pick number 50 to go back eight spots and you can still get your Deron Payne, probably not your Vita Vey, as I tweeted a quote the other day from a scout and they said, have you guys done much work on Vita Vey? It was a scout that was picking in the 20s and the scout said, why? To wish him good luck. Basically saying he'll be long gone by pick 20. So I don't think Vita Vey will be there. But if you target Deron Payne, you can trade down and recoup a second second round draft pick, an additional second round draft pick, and get Deron Payne at 19 so you can go Deron Payne. And the reason I'm pushing this idea for an additional second round pick is because I have told you guys a thousand times, pick 42 needs to be a tight end. I know that could change based on how the draft board falls. You know, if you get Hayden Hurst and Mike Gusecki in the first round and Mark Andrews goes early in the second and Dallas Godert goes as well, you might have to change that philosophy. But I think you're going to get a good crack at one of those guys at pick 42. And the Dolphins need a tight end probably above all else. And that's a great, great spot to be to pick a tight end right there. So I really want to get an additional second round pick because you guys are going to think this is crazy, but I don't want any part of waiting around on Shaquem Griffin. I want him on this football team, and I'm going to take him higher than I should just because I think he's going to have a great impact both on the field and in the building. So I'm trying to accumulate a second, I keep saying this, an additional second round draft pick, another second round draft pick to go ahead and make that happen because I think that the Seahawks in round two are likely to pounce on Shaquem Griffin, if not round two, round three. They are the only team that hosted him at the com- or at this. I can't remember if it was the senior bowl or the combine they met with him or had a private workout with him or something to that effect. I I apologize for getting my facts wrong here, but the Seahawks, there was some instance where they were the only team that met with Shaquem Griffin and they absolutely love him. You watch him run his 40 yard dash in Indianapolis and Pete Carroll, the look on his face, he was just like, yeah, that's our guy kind of pumped up to watch him run that good 40 time that he ran. So you're going to have to finagle your way around the Seattle Seahawks because they are going to want to draft him to pair him with his brother, Shaquille Griffin, his twin brother, also out of UCF. So the entire idea is that I want to acquire a second round draft pick in addition to our 42nd pick. And Dallas would give us pick 19 and 50. You can go Deron Payne at 19. You can go Mark Andrews at 42 and then Shaquem Griffin at 50. And I would be as happy as a clam with that draft haul right there. A couple other teams I wrote down for a possible trade down, the Carolina Panthers at 24, and that's going back a little further. So if they gave us pick 24 and pick 55, might have to ask for a little bit more compensation there from the Carolina Panthers. And I kind of figured they were in the same ballpark in terms of wanting a wide receiver, maybe even a cornerback. If Denzel Ward somehow falls to him there, they could look there since they couldn't get Brashad Breland done on the free agent contract. He fell to physical and was not brought into them. And they also lost... Daryl Worley in a trade, so they might have a need at cornerback there, a potential trade down target. And then the Tennessee Titans are another team I put on the list. 
They have picks 25 and 57 in the same way as the Carolina Panthers. Probably going to have to give us more than just the swap of the first round picks and a second round pick. So if they want to do that and come up and get one of their defenders as well, that was kind of the thinking there is they have some needs at linebacker. They lost Avery Williamson. They could want to come up and get Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds, possibly come up and get, like I said, a Denzel Ward, maybe even a safety in there too. So they have some needs on defense they could go ahead and fulfill. And if they want to come up, they can give us those picks. So the Dolphins could do themselves a favor to go ahead and move back, still get the guy that they covet, De'Ron Payne. I think that's the one that you'd have to target in a trade down, and I'm more than happy to do that. I'd love to get De'Ron Payne because I think he's going to be an impact player from day one, going to have a great career, rushing the passer from the interior, hopefully ending Tom Brady's career sooner rather than later in terms of beating him up and getting him out of the league, and also getting yourself a a stud pass rushing linebacker, which I think is going to be Shaq Griffin's role in the NFL, going to be a fantastic pass rusher, possibly even a cover guy too. I talked about his ball skills, 19 plays on the football in his career at UCF there. And then also in the second round, getting that tight end. So you get your starting defensive tackle, a starting tight end, and a pass rushing slash coverage nickel linebacker that could be an absolute beast in the NFL and change the temperature in your building. So we got a little bit more on the podcast here to get to, guys, including my three worst free agents in team history. And I just thought of something I wanted to go ahead and add to the podcast. A little note, speaking of Tom Brady, that I heard on the Albert Breer podcast today in my car on the way to work. So we'll talk about that on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. So I heard this bit today on the Albert Breer Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast, a very good podcast if you guys are interested in listening to a league-wide podcast with the MMQB Albert Breer, and he talked about the final episode of Tom vs. Time, and I haven't watched the series myself, but I guess this whole entire series chronicles his 2017 season and Albert Breer set up the, the before this soundbite, I'm going to plug you guys, he set it up by saying Tom Brady has ultimate veto power on this thing. It's not a journalistic report. It's his documentation of his 2017 season, keeping record of his age 40 season kind of for his product after he retires. So if he wanted to change something the way they did it, he had that ability to do so. And this was the very last bit they played on the show and Tom talking about his future in the NFL. Go ahead and give us a listen. These last two years have been very challenging for him in so many ways. And I think he just wants, you know, he, he tells me I love it so much and I just want to go to work and feel appreciated and have fun. It's a big commitment. Sitting here laying here three days after the year getting my Achilles worked on on my thumb. And you go, what are we doing this for? You know, what are we doing this for? Who are we doing this for? Why are we doing this? You got to have answers to those questions. And they have to be with a lot of conviction. You know, when you lose your conviction, then you probably should be doing something else. And that's how he ended it. When you lose your conviction, you probably should be doing something else. Does he still have that conviction to play? I, I think it's probably just him setting himself up for a future, like, oh, I didn't want to play, but here I am back in the Super Bowl again. But you never know. It sounds like he might be finally, for the first time in his career, questioning his existence in the NFL with the New England Patriots and the fact that he might not be enjoying his time with Bill Belichick anymore. The whole appreciation thing he mentioned Bill Belichick is known as one of those old school kind of guys that doesn't really heap praise on his team, his players a whole lot. So, man, if if Brady's losing that drive and that determination to be great and that desire to play for the Patriots, that sure would be fun for us, wouldn't it? And I, I said this podcast was going to be short, but we're running a little bit long here. We're going to go ahead and get into my three worst free agent signings of all time. 
And remember, this is unrestricted free agent since 1992. And why don't we go ahead and make this a little bit fun and give us some theme music to get you guys here on the podcast. So the number three worst free agent signing of all time in Miami Dolphins history, cornerback Richard Marshall was brought in from t- in 2012. I think it was the Carolina Panthers that came over from, signed a three-year contract for $16 million, $6 million guaranteed. He only played in four games and had 17 tackles. He did have a pick, but his, his season ended with a back injury, and he never played for the Dolphins again. So he's number three on the worst all-time list. Number two is center Jake Grove. In 2009, he signed a four-year, $28 million contract, $14 million guaranteed. Former Oakland Raider was supposed to be a changing of the guard at the center position. Never happened, but he came in for the Dolphins and flopped in the biggest way. And my number one worst signing of all time, because I was so high on the guy, I think is the reason I had him up here, was none other than wide receiver Ernest Wilford in 2008. He signed a four-year, $13 million contract with $6 million guaranteed. He was a former Jacksonville Jaguar who was supposed to come in and be a number one receiver, believe it or not, in that 2008 season, the Chad Pennington season. He had three catches for 25 yards and no touchdowns before he was cut the following year. So Richard Marshall, Jake Grove, and Ernest Wilford. And I didn't want to include guys like Legadu Nane, insignificant signings. It had to be big money or, or relatively big money. So Richard Marshall, Jake Grove, Ernest Wilford. Honorable mention goes to Jabril Wilson and Reggie Torbor, the linebacker and safety respectively. So those are your worst free agent signings in Miami Dolphins history. Set to the Benny Hill theme. And that is a great spot to end the podcast. That'll do it for tonight's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And follow our flagship show, at Locked On NFL, on Twitter, as well as Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog, in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We're going to be back tomorrow with Bleacher Report's Ian Wharton for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.